1: Just go to porkbun.com forward slash fm 24 That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash fm 24 You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort
0: We are in the home stretch of this season on Workplace Confessionals. We've got just a few episodes left. Uh, two more
1: confessions to go through today, though. Yeah, it's been a great season. And I, I think our longest ever 30 episodes is where we decided to make the cutoff. And this is episode 23, I believe. So, yeah, we're nearing the end. Yes, but a lot of other great confessions
0: still to go this season, including today. There's a bit of a common theme in these confessions. I'd call the theme maybe dysfunction. <laughs> dysfunction, you know, yeah, that's probably a good way to summarize them. But of course, there's a lot to learn from these. So let's jump right in.
1: Welcome to Rocketship.fm.
0: Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We
1: are your hosts, Michael Saka, and I'm Mike Belsito. So, two confessions that both relate to dysfunction
0: in one way or another. Yeah, I think I think that's the best way to sort of put it and Uh, In any dysfunctional situation though, the good news is there's a lot to be learned. And so I
1: think that's no different today too. Well, in that case, we want to get to the learning, but first we should probably introduce our guest today. Today we have Justin Schreiber. Justin is the chief marketing officer at People.ai, an AI powered sales technology company, but this isn't Justin's first rodeo as an executive. He's been the VP at LinkedIn, Oracle, and several other companies. Yeah, basically he's seen some stuff. Sure has. And well, Here he is. Welcome
2: to the show, Justin. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm currently the Chief Marketing Officer at a company called People.ai. We specialize in capturing what we call business activity, email, calendar, conference calls. We use AI to process that and then match it to your CRM and and go-to-market systems. And then we also service insights to help sales and marketers be more effective.
0: All right, well, it's great to have Justin with us and we ought to get right to the first confession of the day. Now this one, well, you'll see where the dysfunction is. This confession is one we're calling, I hide things from my sales team.
3: Okay, so this is a little embarrassing, but I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't exactly share everything that's going on related to the product with our sales team. As the head of product, I used to share every detail of our roadmap with the sales team, with the caveat that what's on the roadmap isn't a promise. Things could change and we should certainly not share widely with customers quite yet. I had trust in our VP of sales that he'd reiterate that message to the team and that everybody could stay properly informed. Then it started happening. We started getting grilled by certain members of our sales team about why we weren't keeping our end of the bargain. And were consistently missing deadlines for product launches. But product launches don't have timelines. Yes, certain products would get deprioritized, but it's only because some other priority would come up which was determined to be more important by guess who, the sales team final straw was when we were blamed for losing a deal because a customer expected a certain product to be ready in time and it wasn't that customer should have never even been promised a specific launch date though so now i'll share our roadmap, sure but not the full view just what i know we're just about to launch for things further out i keep it very broad Just problems we're trying to solve, nothing more.
1: Uh, The age-old tension between product and sales. The product team just wants the sales team to sell what they have, and the sales team is always asking them for that next new product feature and when it will be ready so that they can make the sale.
0: Yeah, it's a classic one, right? So let's see if Justin has seen this one play out before.
2: Well, I was thinking this from a couple of different angles. I've been head of product before. I've been head of sales, and now obviously I'm head of marketing. And it's important to recognize that there's a partnership between those three groups. I think that first and foremost, you need to put yourself in the shoes of the customer. They are making decisions based on what you're able to deliver, the value you're able to deliver. And you absolutely cannot violate that customer trust. So it's important that sales, marketing, and product are working together to ensure that you're accurately communicating what you can deliver and that you're keeping those promises. From a product perspective, I think it's really important to give accurate information, but I also sympathize with the fact that things change on the roadmap and also there can be delays. So I found that there, is, there are a couple of things that are helpful. First of all, having a regular cadence of communication and product releases is great. And I call it the QPR, the quarterly product release. It starts with an SOD, a statement of direction, which at the top says this is non-binding. It may not happen. However, in order to give guidance to our customers as they prepare for what's coming out, we want to give an overview. And in that document, you're going to be pretty confident that you can deliver the things in the document, despite the caveat at the top. Beyond that, what I like to do is share themes. I'm not going to actually get into the features and functions, but I'm going to say directionally, this is where the product is going. And the reason that's important is because nowadays, customers are trying to figure out which vendors to work with, which platforms to work on, and they really need to get a sense for where you are today, but where you're going. And they're comparing that vision to other visions so that they can determine how to make long-term budgetary decisions. So I think when you bring together the idea of selling on value, the quarterly product release that starts with a statement of direction, and beyond that quarter themes... You really land in a place where you're not over committing and you're able to deliver on the promises that you're making. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It's uh, always a struggle with the sales team. I wonder if there's a conversation between the head of product and the head of sales that even needs to happen, too. And, you know, I think that that quarterly report is great. But inside of the sales process if there's some communication that needs to
2: happen i think there definitely needs to be a shared understanding as well about vernacular about artifacts like the statement of direction the qpr so that sales understands exactly what uh what these things mean and and the way that they can represent them to customers and there also needs to be alignment on uh, what is shared and what isn't shared you know if you put yourself in the shoes of the sales person and i've been in this situation before where The customer says we absolutely need these products we're not going to buy this solution unless you're able to commit to these features there's a couple things you can do you can have a handshake agreement or you can actually put it in the contract problem with putting something like that in the contract if it hasn't been delivered you cannot recognize the revenue associated with that contract until the contract is delivered in full and a salesperson doesn't want that because essentially depending on how comp structures are set up they may not get paid, and all of a sudden, they've created a dependency on product. If it's a handshake agreement, that's also problematic because eventually, uh, you, you've got you've to pay the price. And so even if you can recognize the revenue, if the customer doesn't get the value, it's going to make it a lot harder to expand the product. There also may be uh, a desire to invoke an out clause in the contract, and then the, the salesperson gets a clawback. So I think that conversation between the sales and the product person and helping the product person to rec- or, or the salesperson to recognize the ramifications of committing to things that aren't there in their wallet is a very compelling way to um, to uh, get them on the same page.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's needs to be this like sales product summit. That is step one. Like, let's get everybody, like all cards on the table. Like, this is not working. Like, let's all get on the same page because- that's a, a lot of times when this happens. It, that's really what it's boiling down to is a communication issue, right? So, yeah, it, it feels like maybe that's where they ought to start. I don't know, J- Justin. Do you feel like that's step one, or what? What step one? Like, what should? It, it, I think all the ideas that you're mentioning are, are things that should be done. Like, but where should they start?
2: Yeah, I think I think having an open dialogue between the head of sales and the head of product makes a lot of sense. Figuring out what the objectives are, the pain, the difficulty. And from there, starting to lay down some specific processes and some understanding around uh, the needs and the goals of, of both parties. The other thing that's important to take into account is the kind of business that you're running. If it's a B2C business, you uh, it's, it's much easier on an agile basis to roll out functionality. Literally, you could do that on a daily and a weekly basis. You know, uh, I've got a consumer app and all of a sudden there's a new button that appears. Not a big deal, not very invasive. If you're in hardcore enterprise sales, B2B, selling enterprise products, companies literally have to bring together the implementation team, the training team, they have to put process together. And oftentimes they are. Uh, they are limited by the cadences that they can run. For example, you may only have one day a quarter to train a sales team on a new product. So it's very important that the customer, the sales team and the product team are all aligned and have forward visibility into what's happening. And it requires a lot more coordination.
0: We will be right back after a word from our sponsors.
1: Dot com. That's business.att.com. Okay, well, our first confession touched on several issues. There was some distrust, communication issues. This next one, it's a little different. Yeah, although I guess you could say it's a communication issue. Well,
4: yeah, technically. I don't know. Let's Let's just get right to it. I definitely know that the people I work for don't want me sharing this one. But here's the deal. Our superstar advisor list that's originally listed on our website? Yeah, it was bullshit. It was a mix of A-list investors and quasi-entrepreneur celebrities who really had nothing to do with our business. Our CEO has been in contact with each of them, sure, but they were nowhere close to being formal advisors. I'm sure of that. One of them literally sent one email with a few bullet points of feedback on the product demo. If they saw that their name and face was being used on our website, I'm confident that they'd have immediately asked to have it removed. Fortunately, I was able to convince our CEO that listing them was a bad idea and he took the page down before anybody caught wind of it. I really do like our CEO. I believe in his vision and believe in our product but there are some things that happen like this where it's so much of a disconnect for me that I question whether I ought to be even working there. Okay, this one is is just wild, right? Yeah,
1: when you said it's technically a communication issue. Well, right,
0: as in it's communicating something that just isn't true, and that's an issue. <laughs>
1: It's a big issue. (laughs) Well, let's see what Justin has to say about this.
2: Well, there are a couple of issues at play there. I think the fundamental issue is a question related to trust, trust between the CEO and the person that submitted this particular question. And so before you even get into the topic of what are we going to put on our website? What are we going to put in other places? I think there needs to be a conversation about from an integrity perspective, what's important to you? What's important to me? And do we see eye to eye on that? Do we have the same objectives? And in this situation, you probably have to make some hard calls. If you feel like you're in different places, you're going to constantly run into these kinds of issues. And especially if this, this question of integrity is high on your list, it's going to become more and more frustrating. So I think having an open discussion about that and and an acknowledgement that there tends to be a gap between where you are and where your CEO is from an integrity perspective can really clear the air and help you to decide how you want to move forward. Feels like one of these
0: things where it's probably common sense for 99 I'd hope 99% of people out there like don't put an advisor up if they're not actually advising your company. But it, it kind of does bring into you know you see it in other ways too like where you know listing customer logos on your website where maybe, you know, especially you think of these companies that have a lot of users, maybe there's somebody that does work for company XYZ that uses your product. Does that mean you can, you know, list the, the entire company's logo on your website? Like, I don't, I don't know. In certain cases, probably not. Um, so it's not just with listing advisor things. I'm just you know curious your take on we're, a lot of times these things are done because of, you know, social proof. Um, you know, what's your take on trying to, you know, build out social proof through your website? Like, where do you, wh- what things, you know, work well, what things don't work well, like that you should just totally stay away from?
2: Well, one thing that we do and, and that I've always made a practice is in your contracts, just include a clause that says, we'd like to use your logo as a, and, and indicate that you're a customer of ours. And that's just a standard clause in the contract. Now, their legal team may come through and strike that, but oftentimes they don't, and now you've got contractual language that that protects you and allows you to put the logo up on the website. Depending on the company and the company size, uh, here's the reality. If you're a startup and you truly do have a customer, uh, you put the logo on the website, the company isn't going to go after you and sue you if they see that their logo is up there and they haven't given you explicit permission. Um, but there is, if they do come come at you, oftentimes they will simply say, "Hey, we're not comfortable with you using our logo. Please take it down," and then you take it down. So, absolutely, the best practice is ask for permission, get contractual language for a Series A company putting a logo of a a true customer on the website if you don't have explicit permission um, happens all the time. And in that case, I would say, just take it down if, if someone asks you to do it. And then make sure that in the future, you don't keep Putting that logo back up there. I think that's one of the mistakes that companies make because they don't have the process to keep track of what customers have told them to do.
0: Yeah. It's also also gives them an opportunity to, to build a relationship with that customer if they're asking for permission. It's like maybe, maybe there's this big company out there that they, you know, we're we're just gonna throw their logo up. But now in asking for permission, um, you know, it kind of opens yeah. the dialogue. Maybe there's an opportunity to get a relationship
1: going that maybe wasn't as strong before too we're talking about logos here but the the confession was actually about advisors and i think right. it's much different you know logos someone signed up for your product i've had it happen at Dribbble where someone on my team signed up for a free trial and then all of a sudden our logos on the on the site the next week an advisor though is an official position that usually holds a stake in the company and so i would worry about the ceo's kind of moral compass here, if they're willing to cut corners here, what else are they willing to cut corners on in the future? And what kind of legal trouble could that get you in down the line, right? This one is is fairly, you know, slap on the wrist. But you know, what corners are they going to cut in the future that if you are, you know, an executive at that company, you could be legally liable for if they're willing to take this, these kind of risks. So I, I would be I I would be very wary about this. I'd be very wary about the CEO. And I I think the person what they're asking is, should I stay here? right?
2: And and that's where it comes back to having that that fundamental conversation about where do you stand from an integrity perspective? Where do I stand? And is the gap too wide to really make this thing work? The other thing I would say (laughs) is if you are having to resort to deceptive uh, quote-unquote advisors on the site, I'd be very concerned about the viability of the company in general. Strong products are going to engender strong endorsements from people that use them and get value out of them. And uh, so that would just be another flag for me that, that there are problems here. We'll be right
1: back after a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, well, two more confessions are now in the books. And yes, there's a whole lot of dysfunction based into these, wasn't there? Yeah, you could say that. Well, we always end each episode with one big takeaway. So I'll start. And actually, I'll start with that last confession. We have fake advisors at our startup. The takeaway here is... Don't say that you have advisors you don't actually have? Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> don't do that. But deeper than that. I'd say go about your life using the grandmother test. If there's any question about something you're doing from an ethical standpoint, ask yourself, what would my grandmother say if I told her I did this? If she'd be quick to scold you or would get that disappointed look on her face, well, I think you know it's probably not the right thing to do. In this case, I know the CEO just wanted their startup to be viewed in a positive light. But missteps like this always seem to get called out. In the end, it's not doing your company really any favor. So while there's not a single handbook, so to speak, on what's required to run a startup, you can ask yourself, if your grandmother was around today, what would she say if she knew you did this? Yeah, I
0: can tell you that both of my grandmothers, if they were around today, I don't think they'd be very proud if I told them my company was lying to people like that. And <laughs> I don't know about you, Michael, but I never wanted to disappoint my grandma. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to think about it. Um, okay. Okay. I will add another takeaway here, but I'm going to go back to that first confession. I hide things from my sales team. The takeaway for me here is that it's so critical to have trust among the various groups in a company. And when that trust fades, things start to happen, like information getting withheld. So if this keeps up, whatever company this is, it's not going to end well. If you're in this company and you see some of this dysfunction happening, you ought to call it out early. Do what you can to bring the sides together. If you're a leader in one of these groups, Get with the leader in that other group um, that you're having a hard time being on the same page with. If you're an individual contributor, get with your manager and do this together. Be a part of the solution. But whatever you do, you can't sit back and do nothing. It's just a recipe for disaster. Situation It's just not going to get better by itself. Nope. It definitely doesn't work like that. Good take there. Well, thank you, Michael. And thank you, listeners. We're glad to have you with us today. For Michael Saka, I'm Mike Belsito, and this was another episode of RocketChip.fm. We'll be back with you in just a few days for another episode.